When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Hey guys, just uh, breaking in here before we start the podcast. This is Brandon, and I have a new story out that I think you might like. A little while ago, Wizards of the Coast came to me and said, Will you write us something? You can write anything you want in any world that we've uh, we've ever designed. And so I was excited, and I sat down and wrote a story called Children of the Nameless, which is kind of a horror story-esque thing that starts off with a blind uh, young woman in a town listening as everyone in her town is murdered by something she can't see. Um, so you can find links to that on my website. It's called Children of the Nameless, or you can go to wizardsofthecoast.com, wizards.com. Season 13, Episode 50. This is Writing Excuses, What Writers Get Wrong, with Zoraida Cordova. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. And I'm usually getting it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And we are live at Comic-Con Salt Lake City. And we have special guest star Zoraida Cordova. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves, because one of the things we're trying to do is make sure that people know that culture is not a monolith. So what, what's your background? So I am originally from Ecuador. I was born in, uh, in Guayaquil, Ecuador, and I came here, I came to United, not here. I, we moved to New York when I was five, so I'm, I consider myself a New York maid. Right. Um, I am a writer. I write urban fantasy. Um, I love painting. I love Star Wars. Um, I love food. Um, I, I do speak Spanish, but I don't, I no longer think in Spanish. Um, and that's a little bit, that's a little bit about me. So out of that, that stuff, are we going to talk about Star Wars? Are we going to talk about writing? What are we going to talk about? Um, a little bit of everything. We can, whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about, uh, being Latina in America. Yeah. Let's talk about being Latina in America. Um, I think that especially right now, um, it's a little complicated because I grew up in a very, very diverse neighborhood in Queens, New York. I'm from Hollis. You know, you recognize the song. It's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Um, and I never felt like an outsider, really, because I, I, everyone around me was a person of color or, you know, and even if we had, like, white kids in school, um, they were, like, neighborhood kids, right? Um, and so I didn't, I was never aware of my otherness until I got into publishing, um, because publishing likes to segregate books and, and genres for a little while. Like, my first novel went out on submission when I was 18. Oh, wow. Uh, actually, 19. And um, it was a, a quinceañera story, which quinceañeras are sweet 16s, but with more pink and more cake and more family. Um <laughs> And heels. Uh, and, but, you know, we got, it was the same time that Jennifer Lopez was published, like had published a quinceañera collection. And there were a couple of other quinceañera novels. So our, our rejections were, this is really funny, um, but we already have a Latino book for the season. And so I feel like 
Nobody says that anymore. They say they use more coded language, but it, it's almost like it's like the Highlander, right? There can only be one of something because I, as the Latina, you know, in publishing, represent all other Latinos in publishing, and that's that's wrong. Like it shouldn't be that way. Like we should have multitudes. Um, so that's yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. I never. I, I mean, I, I get some rejections, and they're never. We've already taken books from bald dudes. Right. <laughs> never <laughs> comes filled up. our white guy quota for this season. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I don't. I, I think that things are changing a little bit, and I think that that has to do a lot with uh, we need diverse books. The organization that came out in twenty. 14, I believe, May 2014. Um, and it started as, as a hashtag. And I feel like it's not to say, let's replace white authors with people of color. It's just, let's make the table bigger so that we can all have a seat. And I think that that inclusive, um, like that inclusive mentality is what's desperately missing from publishing. My book, Labyrinth Lost, is about a girl who is um, she doesn't want power, so she casts a curse to get rid of it. Instead, she gets rid of her family and sends them to another dimension. Oops. Um, <laughs> and now she has to go and get them back. Um, but b- m- above that, it's also about a Latina family and how witchcraft is different from this culture, right? Because they're brujas, which is the Spanish word for witch. Um, and at the end of the day, it's still a universal story. It's about family and sisters and, and, and you know, having something bigger than yourself, but it's still, it's still one Latina character. So one of the things that, that one of the side effects of this is that uh, often when you see Latino characters being presented in media, they're not being written by people people who who actually are Latino. And, and, And I'm guilty of this. I don't know if guilty is the right word. I've got an entire series with a main character who is Latina. But what do you see when you watch TV or you read books and you're like, oh, that guy's never met a Mexican in his whole life? Like, right. what, what, are, what do people get wrong? Uh, people get the accent. In TV, people get the accents wrong, right? Like, what does an Ecuadorian speaking Spanish sound like? You probably never heard it. Um, and, but you've heard, like, Mexican accents or Colombian accents. Like, if you watch Narcos, a lot, some Colombian people are upset because like all the accents are wrong um but then again you have a show like narcos where like they're drug dealers yay um <laughs> and so that portrayal the drug dealer the um a book recently came out where a, a, a girl goes to ecuador and i'm like yes Ecuador's in a book finally that i didn't write um and she gets kidnapped right you know by these these drug lords and i was like this is it makes me it, like it hurts, right? On, on a on a very basic level, because like seeing yourself as as a caricature all the time. Um, Latinos, like every time you watch a, a TV show, here comes the maid, and her name is Maria, and she gives you some wisdom. And so it's the same problem with African American people who have like the magical Negro who all of a sudden gives you a bunch of wisdom, and now you you know like oh I can finish my quest. Um, and, and that goes for all different different cultures, right? We have these stereotypes. For me, in YA, it's always, like, the sassy best friend um, or the super, like, curvaceous Sofia Vergara, you know, lookalike. And, like, I'm sorry I don't look like Sofia Vergara. Like, you know, if anyone's disappointed, like, when you, when, when you meet a Latina author— um, so those are some stereotypes. I think that other ones that really bother me are when you can't, you can't establish your character— your character's ethnicity, so you just throw in random Spanish words, right? Like, I recently read this this, um, this sci-fi book, and the only way that you know that this character is Latina is because she randomly says the word abuela. 
And I have never used the word abuela in my book because I don't call my grandmother that I call her mommy, you know, because she's like my second mother. And so that shows like not doing research because different Latin countries use different nicknames for things like different families use different nicknames for things. So that's really frustrating. My my uh, Latina character totally calls her grandma abuela. I, I, I read your well, book. That's, a, that's, a, <laughs> that's, a that's Puerto the one she was talking about. Yeah, that's, a, that's a Puerto Rican or a Cubano. It's just, it just means it's just, grandmother. It's, it's, oh, I know, but different, there, there's a, but there's a cultural culture. thing. And I saw this in a comic book recently, and I, I wish I could reference it directly, where uh, a Latino writer put a very, very Latino abuela uh, in the book, mm-hmm. and it is a beautiful, yeah. beautiful moment. I think it might actually be in a, a Hulk comic. Really? <laughs> um, and well, the new Groot. Groot's grandmother is Puerto Rican. He comes from like the Saba trees, and I think you know. that I think that might be. It. I think Hulk was that? in the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's super cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's, and I think that's really beautiful. And there are ways to do it, um, but that's just craft, right? As like as writers, we want to subvert stereotypes and we want like, yes, maybe I do want to write about a sexy Latina and, but how am I going to make her different? You know, um, one of my favorite stories is, a uh, Selma Hayek, how when she was in dogma, she almost didn't get cast because Kevin Smith just saw her as like, oh, she's just like a pretty body and face. And then, you know, he actually talked to her and was like, oh, maybe there's more to you than this outer shell of what you're supposed to be, uh, in Hollywood. Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week, though you've already kind of pitched it to us. Do it again. Labyrinth Lost. <laughs> Labyrinth Lost is about a girl who sends her family to another dimension and then has to go and get them back. <laughs> Excellent. <Awesome. laughs> um, and um... so I, I had a question that mm-hmm. I wanted to ask. Uh, as you were talking about some of these things, that, you know, that they, they hurt and... Uh, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind, uh, and you're, the, the Selma um, Hayek story made me think of this. Um, can we dig into some of your own personal pain there a little bit? Uh, so you've, you know, I'm, I'm going to extrapolate from a friend of mine who had grown up in San Francisco. Uh, actually, no. She had grown up in Texas as a Japanese-American in Texas. Mm-hmm. And she had friends from San Francisco who were Japanese-Americans. And they all went to Seattle to this very small island, and the uh, San Francisco women were going, why do these people keep staring at us? And she's like, what? 
are they are they staring because she was so used to being stared at that she had just stopped noticing. Okay. So growing up in a very diverse community, mm-hmm. when you leave New York, what are the things that you experience that you think are probably media based? That the the experiences where it's like, oh, oh, you've just explored. So I think I haven't I've been traveling for the like haven't been home in two months. I went home for a day like last week and then I came here. Um, and so traveling in different cities has has been strange. I was in Atlanta and I, I think that, like, I don't know the Latino communities in Atlanta, um, but it's, it's people do look at you. And, I'm, and most of the time I'm on my phone talking to on my headset. So maybe that's one of the reasons they're like, oh, this girl's <laughs> talking to herself. Um, but sometimes it's just like maybe somebody has never seen somebody that looks like me walking in their neighborhood. Um, um, I won't really go to Arizona because I'm afraid of, like, somebody asking, you know, racially profiling me or something like that. Like, I just won't go there. Um, and so when I leave New York, I, I don't always feel unsafe. Like, I don't, it's not that I'm afraid of being around other people. Like, I'm literally surrounded by you guys right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're great, you know? And so I think that the problem is the, the language in our media right now about Latinos and about Mexicans and about, um, uh, like, Puerto Rico and things like that I think that has caused me to feel more guarded than I would have two years ago, right? Like, I, I, I'm always on the edge and sort of, like, standing near somebody, like, are they going to say something inappropriate? Are they going to, like, you know, if I'm on the phone with my mom, should I talk to her in English or should I talk to her in Spanish? Because, like, if, some, if I'm talking in Spanish, you see these vi- videos that go viral where somebody's like, it's America, speak English. I'm like, well, go back to England and speak English. Um <laughs> And so, like, it's just being afraid to do things that were normal to me two years ago. Right. um, That are a little frightening. You know, if you look at the things from the earthquake right now in Mexico, there are these people. There's a photo of a 90-year-old man carrying boxes to help his neighbors. And so, like, these are the people that, you know, our our leader, you know, calls, like, rapists and murderers. And meanwhile, they're some of the most helpful people, like, coming together for a tragedy. Um, And where, where, you know, where do I fit in that? Because right. I'm not Mexican, but, like, if you... I don't know what people see when they look at me. Because I only know what I see when I look at me. And hopefully it's, like, good things, yeah. you know. Your hair is fantastic, Thank by you, the way. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry we had to put the, uh, the bandana on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I like it. I feel like I'm in Woodstock. <laughs> um, uh, we, say we've got a listener who says, I've really wanted to add um, some Latino or Latina characters to my book. Um... Where would you say they begin? How do they go about that, doing it the right way? So with, just with writing, there is no one right way to do things, right? Um, I think that Cynthia Lycan-Smith, who um, she's a Native American author, she says, if you want to write about somebody, read 100 books about that person, about that person's culture. Um, and if you can't find 100 books, then are you the person to add to this, right? Hmm. Um, that's one way. Um, I think that with Latinos, you have to figure out, don't say, like, I'm not, I'm not telling you how to write, how to say Latino, how to say Hispanic, but there are very different connotations. Like, I am Hispanic and Latina because part of me is from Spain, um, but there are some Latinos who have no Spanish blood. They're still indigenous or they're Afro-Latino. And so, like, figure out what those things mean. Um, figure out what country they're from because even though we speak a similar language, though our accents are completely different, um, we have completely different histories. The history of the Dominican Republic in the Caribbean is going to be different than the history of Ecuador 
uh, in South America. And, and so figuring out that there is no way to look Latino. That's one of the things that really bothers me because when people think Latino, they think light skin um, or tan, or you know, they don't think Afro-Latino. They don't think of somebody like Rosario Dawson or Zoe Saldana. They think of um, you know, Sofia Vergara. I'm sorry for using her over and over again, but I'm blanking out <laughs> on my Latina actresses. Um, so I think it's doing a research that doesn't feel like anthropology because anthropology also is about studying a culture to then destroy it, right? <laughs> yeah, we can, if, if you're not clear on that, we go back and listen to our colonialism episode and that'll, oh, that'll help yeah. clear that up a little bit. Colonization, one of, yay. <laughs> one of the things that is, uh, doesn't get said enough is the importance of representation in the things that we, things that we create. Uh, my oldest son is autistic and we were watching an episode of Elementary in which... Sherlock Holmes is talking to the woman who becomes his girlfriend, who is portrayed as autistic, and it's different from how my, how my son's autism manifests. And, and he stood behind the couch watching the episode for about 15 minutes, and for the first time ever, ever watching TV, he said, they're kind of like me. Mm. And that moment... There are kids who are Latino, who are black, who are female, who are all kinds of ways, who never get to say that. And we need to hear, we need to hear your voice. Mm -hmm. We need to hear, we need to hear diverse voices so that these people have stories about them. Well, and it, just to use a, a not a non-loaded example, um, the, oh, oh. Shoot, I've just forgotten her name. Astronaut. Um, she just did. Jemma? No. No. No, no, no. She's um, she's white, um, which is why it's a non-loaded example because <laughs> white is the American default. Sorry, um, but but she she just got the record for the uh, the, the most number of days in oh, space. Yes. Oh yes. And uh, said that being an astronaut had never been on her radar at all until NASA picked, when she was in uh, late high school, NASA picked the first class of female astronauts. And she was like, oh, I want to do that. And if she had not seen that role model, she wouldn't have pursued that. And for a lot of people, the role model comes from fiction, learning mm-hmm. through fiction that, oh, that could be me. I could do that. Or just, I am not alone. This experience that I'm having is not alone. There, there's, you know, while, while you were surrounded, there are also, when I was touring to elementary schools, I would go into elementary schools in Idaho, and it would be a sea of white kids and one little brown kid. One child. And so that child was getting everything through books. Right. Um, I think it's, it's not just important for, for us, for like diverse people to see themselves in books. It's also important for like white kids to see mm-hmm. other people in books Absolutely. because that creates empathy. Like as writers, our biggest thing is to create empathy through our, through our, through our works. Um, when I lived in Montana for a brief period of time, when I was in college, um, I'd never seen so many blonde people in my life. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I would, but, but the, the people who would come up to me were um, native people who were like, what tribe are you from? Because I was confusing to them. 
Oh. Um, and I'm like, I'm from the Ecuadorian tribe. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so it's, we confound each other as people, but I think that as long as we, you know, create inclusive stories, you don't have to make it a point um, to say like, you don't have to uh, make a checklist of, I have a disabled character and I have a character who's uh, queer and Latino. You, you ha- it has to be organic to your story too, right? You don't want to create um, uh, two-dimensional characters, but that's just craft, you know? Right. So good representation is good craft. Can you give some examples of some good craft, that some, uh, some books or media where you've been like, ah, yes, thank you. Thank you for using your craft to do this well. Um, I'm a really big fan of um, Lee Bardugo and Six of Crows, and I think that that is an example of a really diverse uh, cast of con artists. <laughs> and um, I'm trying to think of lately, uh, Benjamin Alida Science, who writes Queer Latino Boys, and uh, Adam Silvera, who also writes Queer Latino Boys, but they're completely different from each other. Um, and part of that has to do one is in the Southwest and one is from the Bronx. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank our audience at Comic-Con. And I want to thank uh, Zoraida for coming on the podcast with us. Us, Thank you very much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And Mary, you've got a writing prompt for us. Yeah, what I want you to do is I want you to go and this echoes something that we have done previously, uh, which is reading outside of the box. I want you to go and find books written by authors uh, in, in, uh, let's say, See if you can find a couple of Ecuadorian authors um, and read them. And then, oh, you've got a... No, I was going to say challenge accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Try to find a couple of Ecuadorian authors and then make one of your secondary characters, not your main character, make one of your secondary characters from Ecuador. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson.